out of the middle of this reading. 1 Peter chapter 2, reading at verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now are returned, but are now returned under the shepherd and bishop of our souls. And our subject will be found in verse 21 as well as the title for this message. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, and here is where we're going to draw from a title, that ye should follow his steps. So our message today will focus around the thought of following Christ, embracing that thought and that teaching of following Christ. I don't think there's a more beautiful metaphor in all of the Bible than that which we read of in Psalms 23 and John's Gospel chapter 10 concerning the shepherd and the sheep. And Peter refers to that also here in the last verse of our reading when he speaks of Christ being the shepherd and bishop or overseer of your souls. So those two memorable passages stand out, both the Old and New Testament, of that beautiful relationship of Christ being the shepherd, we who believe being the sheep. It is probably, again, in my opinion, my humble opinion, the most beautiful picture of redemption that you can find anywhere. In fact, if you read John 10 and that relationship of that metaphor, I think you can find every biblical doctrine concerning salvation somewhere in John's Gospel chapter 10. It's just outstanding. But we have in that metaphorical picture, the picture of our redemption by the Good Shepherd. And in our redemption, we see in that relationship the ownership of the sheep to the shepherd. Christ himself, the great shepherd, saying, My Father gave them to me, and I will redeem them. They are mine. I won't lose a one. What a beautiful picture of the ownership and possession relationship 
of the elect of God. And of course that beauty continues to unfold like a flower as it blooms in the calling of the sheep by the good shepherd. Simply saying, my sheep, again there's that possession, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and am known of them. And they follow me. Now folks, that is black and white, cut and dried, no options, no debate, no compromise. That's it. God's people will hear the voice of the Savior. If you cannot say you have heard His voice call you, you're not confident you're his today, then I'd say perk up and start listening. Perk up and start listening. Because Jesus is the shepherd that calls out to sinners. And what a wonderful message he has. I love Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine. 29. What does he say to sinners? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, on you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. That's the promise of the great shepherd to, to sinners. And those that are his will hear that and respond. The relationship depicted in both Psalm 23 and John 10 of a shepherd to sheep. And not just there, but other places in Scripture looking at the natural relationship of shepherds and sheep. It's just an outstanding relationship. There is the care, the love, the compassion, the concern over that which is absolutely dependent upon the shepherd. The shepherd must care because the sheep does not have sense enough to care. And the shepherd is seen so compassionate. Jesus used the illustration about going in the wilderness to find the 90 and, you know, the one that was lost from the 100. And what does he do? Bring it back, carrying it in his arms, over his shoulder. We have that beautiful picture there. And in the sheep we see a commitment, again, that dependence, that total dependence upon the shepherd. Brother Lester raised them. He could tell us more about it if we went into that than probably anybody here that I know of because he's done it, been around them. He knows their quirks, their ins, their outs, their stupidity and all of the silly things and what they do and don't do. I've always found it amusing to learn about them from him or other people. But the bottom line is sheep are committed to their overseer. There's an absolute commitment and is one of dependence. So they're surrendered in that. And in being surrendered, God's people are obedient to it. His rod and his staff comfort me. Get over here. Get over there. Whoa, don't go there. Corrective, disciplined, instructive. And then there's the peace and the comfort and the blessing as depicted in the 23rd Psalm, don't we read? Leadeth me into green pastures beside still waters. And of course, those blessings of Christ to His people are both here and now and in the life hereafter. 
So what a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. And as I have tried to preach feebly in the past, I don't believe there's a greater declaration in all the scriptures than Psalms 23 and 1. If you can say it honestly, heartfelt, convincingly, and believing the Lord is my shepherd, that's the best thing that can ever roll out of your mouth. That's the best thing you can ever believe, be convinced of, and have hope in. If you don't believe anything else that's right, if you believe that, what a blessing. The Lord is my shepherd. And as I say, as soon as you read that, think of that, or repeat that, reverse it and say it again. The shepherd is my Lord. Too many people want the shepherd to be the Savior, but they don't want the Savior to be their Lord. You can't have it. You must have it both. If he is your shepherd, he is your Lord. If he is your Lord, he is your shepherd. It's all a package deal. So we are very saddened when we hear and have heard over our lives so many make that claim. And yet, uncharacteristic of sheep, they don't follow the shepherd. And we must examine our own selves constantly and should. Am I following my Lord, am I walking, as Peter says here, in his steps? Am I diligently and studiously looking for his trail, his steps, his path that I may walk therein? If you're a child of God, that's your desire. You know what I'm talking about today. And we also know how easy it is to lay claim to the Lord is my shepherd, and to follow him for a little while, temporarily, and then to quit following. We have seen this so grievously throughout our lives, have we not? If you've been a child of God very long, you've been in a church very long, you have seen people come and go who claim to be sheep. John 10 doesn't teach that. John 10 teaches a commitment where the sheep follow him forever. From the beginning to the end. But the Bible is not silent on this. In fact, we see very clearly in reading John 6 that when Christ fed a crowd of several thousand people with bread and fishes, they were very happy to be in the shepherd's presence. In fact, they liked it so well, they went all the way across the sea seeking him. And uh, when they found him, he said, you didn't come here. For the right reason, I'm paraphrasing. He said, you came here because of the bread and the fishes. You didn't come here for me, what I stand for, or what I teach. And when he taught them the spiritual food, and didn't give them any more physical food, in the latter part of John 6, it says, he said, this is, this, this is a hard saying. This is, this is getting too hard for us. We just... We just can't follow no longer. I'm paraphrasing the situation again. And it says, quote unquote, some of the saddest words you read in the New Testament. From that time, many of his disciples walked no more with him. Were they disciples? Only in name. They were deceived about being a disciple. Because his words are, my sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. And I'll add to it, whithersoever he leads, like the song says, is where they're willing 
to go. Not just in the green pastures. Not just beside the still waters. But also into the valley of the shadow of death. And not fear because thou art with me. It's not a pleasant thing when he spreads a table for us to sit at in the presence of our enemies. But that kind of calls out those who are the real sheep, does it not? So the Bible makes it clear that those who fall away were only deceived about being sheep. But that his sheep are purchased by him, belong to him, and will follow him. It is not a choice. Well, let's look at some things concerning following Christ. And and before I go into this, let me just share something with you. Years ago, I heard a poem along these lines about people who make the claim of having Christ as their Savior, but are unwilling to follow Him or at some point fall away from Him. And it's a real short little poem. A man named Jeffrey O'Hare wrote it. And it focuses on actually the scripture in Matthew that says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. A lot of them will make that claim. But as Jesus himself said, just because you say it, don't make it real. That there's going to be people who make that claim that Christ is one day going to look at and say, I never knew you. You're not mine. You don't belong to me. But they were religious. The little poem says this. Listen carefully. Beautiful. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? Question. You call me the way and walk with me not. You call me the life and live me not. You call me master and obey me not. You call me bread and eat me not. You call me truth and believe me not. You call me Lord and serve me not. If I condemn you, Blame me not. Now that's a very sad thing. If we take the name of a disciple of Christ and are not willing to follow him, live for him, obey him, partake of him, believe upon him, and serve him. Because the Bible says that's exactly what his sheep will do. All right, let's look at some reasons and some things concerning following Christ. Why should Christ be followed? And the answer is so simple, it's unbelievable. Because he's the greatest person there ever has been and ever will be to follow. That's it. I mean, the person of Christ is presented to the world as the greatest person to look to and to follow. Now, I want you to pause and just chew that a little bit, okay? And think about the phrase I'm about to give you. About how you read in history or you hear people say that they are a follower of fill in the blank. And man, that is unlimited what you can fill the blank with today. Do you realize all false denominations have some other name than Jesus there? I mean, think about it. Who are you following? And why are you following? Jehovah's Witnesses are following a man named Russell. 
Mormons are following a man named Smith. Catholics are following a pope. And I could just keep going on and on and on. I won't for time's sake, but think about it. And there are those who claim to be the followers of Christ, but walk not according to the pattern, the authority, and the teaching of the New Testament. And I'm not exempting us here today either at Philadelphia Baptist Church. No, we are required to follow the steps of Christ. But if you're not following Christ, and there's some other name in that blank, if you're a follower of somebody other than Jesus, you're in trouble. And I'm going to be candid about that today. Because Christ is the impeccable, incarnate, eternal, sinless Son of God. And there is no equal and there is no comparison. And if you're not following Him, you are without hope today. If you're not following Him, you're deceived today. If you're not following Him, you may very well be lost today. But the teaching of Scripture is, as Christ Himself declared in John 14 and 6, I, singular, am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now folks, that's what we believe. That's what I believe. That's what we stand upon. We don't alter that. We don't compromise that. Anybody we meet, we're going to tell them that. There's only one way. And it's in a person. And he said it of himself, I am the way. It's the eternal Son of God. So that is undebatable, uncompromising. That is the truth we live or die by. Who in the world could we compare Christ to? If you know anything about Christ and what's revealed in the Bible, you know it is a vain thought and a foolish attempt to try to find anybody the equal of the Son of God because there's not one. He is the only begotten of the Father. He is God in human flesh. Christ said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know me, you know the Father. You hear me, you hear the Father. I feel so sorry for Jehovah Witnesses who are deceived in thinking they can know God without knowing Christ. Or anybody for that matter. And so many false denominations just simply put Christ on the level as some of the prophets. He was a prophet. But to deny Him for who He really was as He declared and as God glorified and blessed Him while He was here upon the earth as the only begotten eternal Son is to again be deceived and be without hope. Christ was and is truth. Pure, undiluted, perfect truth personified in human flesh. As we read here in Peter it says here that he was sinless, no guile found in his mouth, verse 22. You can't say that about another individual that's ever lived, ever existed, or ever will exist. He is the only exception. That's why he should be followed. 
Everything he spoke was pure, raw, undiluted truth. Nothing can be added to it as far as the truth or veracity of it. Nothing can be taken from it. When he said it, it stands there like a piece of granite that cannot be moved. That's it. The message was unique to him because he was unique. I love the things that it says of him in the Gospels. That his enemies sent men to take him and arrest him. They came back empty-handed and when questioned, Where is he? What have you not done? We didn't bring him. Why not? said, We never heard a man speak like this. Absolutely true. Because there's never been anybody who spoke like Jesus. Another place that's always stuck in my mind is when you read that about people just being stunned and in awe at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. But if you know who he was, nobody could speak more graciously than Christ. Nobody could speak more truthfully than Christ. Nobody could speak and not compromise like Christ. Nobody could say something and not sooner or later be caught in an error. And boy, he had his critics and his skeptics and people were watching, weren't they? And they never could catch him. Even in his crucifixion, remember, they had to go drag up false witnesses because nobody could come forward honestly and legitimately and prove that he had contradicted, blasphemed, or said anything in error. Christ has and is the giver of eternal life. And he even said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. There's not a human being alive could speak with the hope that he did. That could promise anything and fulfill it so great as he did. He said, My sheep hear my voice, John 10, 28, and I give unto them eternal life. Nobody could perform miracles like Jesus did of the magnitude or the multiplicity that he did. Nobody exhibited that kind of power. And yet he became a servant and laid down his life, the good shepherd for the sheep again I say to you he gives the greatest gift from the greatest authority that nobody else can give eternal life where else can you go and get eternal life I'll tell you right now no place the eternal son of God is the only one that has that gift and he alone can give it and he gives it to his own so, summation, if you're following anybody but Christ, you're following a far, far, far secondary figure. You need to be following Christ. And what a blessing it is if you can say that today, that above all things, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd is my Lord, and I'm following Christ. What all does it mean following Christ? Let's get into that. When did you begin to follow Christ? Obviously, none of us followed Christ from birth because we're all sinners by birth. But at some point, 
You were converted by God's grace. And you were converted because you heeded and obeyed that summons come unto me. You heeded the gospel summons of repent of your sins and believe upon Christ as the atonement for your sins. So again, as, the, as we see in the metaphor, the shepherd calls and those who are his respond. They hear. They come out. And they follow. It's that simple. Now think about that. That has not changed and that's not going to change. That's the way sinners are saved. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, but ever since He has ascended to that place, His church on this earth and His people on this earth have been giving that same call that He gave. Come to Christ. Repent of your sins. Obey the gospel. Believe upon Him. He'll give you eternal life. He'll take away your sins. He'll take you to heaven. He'll give you hope when you die. So we declare that same call. And John 10 just says, you hear, you don't hear. And if you hear, wherever you are, you come from there to Him and you stick with Him and you follow Him. It's very simple. And when that happens, that is the greatest commitment you will ever make in your life. If you don't think it is, examine your soul whether you be in the faith. There's nothing greater. It's more endearing. It's more important. It's more blessed. All of that. It is the greatest commitment. It is a lifetime commitment. It is a commitment you make willingly, not out of duty, but out of love. Out of desire. And it works something like this. We see examples of it. I won't take the time to read it, but you might remember it. You will, I'm sure, when I quote it. Like Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. Jesus walking down beside the Sea of Galilee. He sees Peter and Andrew, James and John. They're fishermen, they're partners, they're doing their nets and all of that there. And he says and looks at them and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And you just got to love this. Straightway. Straightway. Unhesitatingly. And with a complete commitment. Using the expression, they just dropped everything and followed. Now, the world would look at it and say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Nobody would do something like that. The sheep will do that. Yeah, they'll do that. They'll recognize the shepherd when he calls straightway. Now, this in contrast, I'll just go ahead and mention it here because it seems to fit. I was going to save it for later, but it seems to fit here. Others came to him in other times and said, Master, I'll follow you wherever you go. Big talk. Big commitment, bit off a big chunk there. Jesus said the foxes have holes and, you know, the birds have nests and I don't have a place to lay my head and you're going to follow me? Come on then. Well, then the excuses started to roll, right? Okay, I'm going to follow you wherever you go, but just first I've got to take care of this and another said I've got to do this and I've got to do another that and on and on it goes, right? James and John, Peter and Andrew dropped everything and walked away. 
And we see the same thing repeated with Matthew, don't we? Who was a publican, sitting receiving taxes or customs, and they were criminals, and he probably was too. Jesus walked by and looked at him and said, follow me, and he just dropped everything, got up, and look out. That's the type of commitment that we're talking about. And yeah, it's not natural. It's supernatural. And that's why you know they were sheep. They didn't hesitate and they didn't make excuse. They got up and went. And another reason you know is because they stuck. Now they all fled at the crucifixion. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying they did. They were, you know, didn't have their flaws. They did. But in the long run, their lives, if history is correct, they only stuck, but they all died for him also. That's what we're talking about in following Christ. Now, I must make a distinction here in view of the false teaching that is so prevalent today that has rewritten John 10 to say that all you've got to do if you hear him calling is just believe. And you don't have to come out of nothing. You can just stay where you are, and you can stay as you are. And if you want to follow, that's a complete option. You know, that's, that's another level that you can take it or leave it, but it really doesn't matter. Just as long as you hear and say yes. That's not Bible, folks. And that is the teaching that does not accept Christ as Lord, but only Savior. I'll take you back. One verse, that's all i got to say about it, and I wouldn't debate anybody any longer than this about that subject. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd must be your Lord. That's it. That's what David said. That's Scripture. That's inspired. You can't divide that except to your own heart. So nothing is more important than following the good shepherd. That's it. When God saved you by His grace, it is a commitment you made, and you'll never make a greater one. It is honorable. You are duty-bound, but you do it out of love for Him. It's not a have-to, it's a want-to. How many times have I said that in this church about different things? Examine your heart. Is it a want-to or a have-to? You're not following because she is. You're not following because he is or family is or they is or he is or they is or it's popular to follow. You're following because Christ died for my sins. It is very, very personal. In fact, let me just point out the personal aspect of that. Peter needed a little lesson on that. Christ gave him one. Last chapter of the Gospel of John. He sees, uh, I believe it was John here following Jesus, John chapter 21, and about verse 20, yes, Peter turning about, see the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which was John, which leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which did he betray? That Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Jesus said to him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Okay? Put the blinders on. Put the blinders on. This is between me and you. I'm the shepherd. Are you a sheep? If it is, it's personal. It's very personal. There is nothing more personal. Can't be anything more personal 
than the relationship between each sheep and the shepherd. Well, there's a whole bunch of them in a flock. You look at a flock of sheep. How can a shepherd know each and every one of them? Jesus said he calls each one by name. He knew your name before you did because it was written down. There's the record of those that belong to him. Don't discount yourself or be deceived by the devil that you're just an anonymous one of the herd. You're not. He died for each of us personally, intimately, and individually. And that's the only way you're to follow him. I'm going to read that scripture in Luke 9 that speaks of this. Uh, Some of the things I said a while ago, but I really want to read the last verse there that focuses on this personal aspect of following Christ. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And this is where, uh, I'm going to skip through this. This is where somebody said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, the foxes have holes in verse 58. And here's the excuses then that begin to be made. Verse 59, let me bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Verse 61, one says, i got to go tell everybody goodbye. And Jesus said, no, you know. And notice verse 62, Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, this is how personal you and I following Christ is. And I've given you this example before, but it's been a long time, so I'm going to remind you again, okay? When I was a kid, the first work we did a lot of times as kids was when we got big enough to go into the fields and the river bottoms of Arkansas and pick produce in the summer. And if you was big enough to carry a bucket of produce, then you could hire out doing that and see if you could make a hand in that regard. Well, depending on the crop you're picking, whether it was peppers, tomatoes, cucumbers, watermelons, cantaloupes, sometimes you put them in a bucket, watermelons you obviously didn't. But you strung out down through there and took, depending on the crop and, the again, what it was, You might take two rows, you might take three rows, you might take four rows, okay? So you're all strung out down through there like the cavalry to your right and your left, you know, going down those rows, and you're responsible for those rows. You might get on a heavy row, you might get on a row that doesn't have a lot. Some are better pickers than others. So there were people up there, there were people in the middle, and there were people back there. And a lot of people were very conscious about seeing where everybody else was. You know, they didn't want to be in the back. They may not want to be in the front, but they sure didn't want to be in the back. Some people didn't care about being in the back. But people were always looking around to see where everybody else was. And this is where I get this right here. Jesus said, your focus is your row. It lies that way. It's not over there. Whether she or he picks theirs right or wrong over there is none of your business. Or over here. Whether they're ahead of you, whether they're behind you, none of your business. Jesus said to Peter, that's what Peter was doing, you see. I mean, it's like picking the cucumbers and Peter's looking around seeing where John is and maybe where everybody else is. And Jesus said, what is that to you? And those words are to us. What is it to you? What he does, she does, whether they're following, whether they're being obedient, whether they're being disobedient, whether they're ahead of you, behind you, whatever you think. Your focus, my focus is to be, we follow the Lord. You know where he is? He's not over there and he's not over there and he's not back there. He's up there. So it is as compassionately as I can say it, a straightforward approach and commitment. 
My duty is ahead of me. So is yours. My responsibility is the rose I'm on. Not yours, not theirs. But you know what we would do at times? And we did this. People that were really good would do this. Not everybody would do this. Sometimes when people were ahead, somebody else may have a heavy row or they were little or they were weak. You know what that person did? They kind of pause on their rows and start picking over on those rows and help that person up a little bit. You know, anything wrong with that? You know? We all need help from time to time. But our focus is ahead. We follow Christ. We don't follow somebody over there or somebody over here. We follow Christ. And I'll say to you again what I said during the church covenant. If you are focused like a laser on following Christ on your road, and I'm over there, and she's over there, and we're focused, guess what? Where we're going to be inseparable because we're not focused on one another we're not being distracted by what everybody else is either doing or not doing and that's the commitment we're talking about in the dependence of the sheep and the shepherd he goeth before us a stranger it says they will not follow it is a personal following of Christ regardless of what happens over there over here back there And those who make excuses and won't and can't and what have you manifest, they're probably not sheep. The sheep here come out and follow Christ. And if anything gets in the way up here, I'm going to follow Christ. If something falls by the wayside over here, I'm going to follow Christ. Folks, I'm talking to you about a commitment that's beyond human comprehension. You'll never make a human commitment in this life to somebody else like you're to make to Christ. When you believed upon Christ, that's a commitment you make. Now the Bible tells us, i got a few things here I want to throw in here quickly. We're not naive to the fact that following Christ is an easy road. He warned us and told all his disciples that, didn't he? What did he say? Straight and narrow. Not a lot of room sometimes. Difficult. Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan captured it, didn't he? The way was not the easy way. The way to heaven is not an easy way. It's a difficult way in one sense. But the difficulty is not in Christ, not in the leading of the Spirit or any of that. The difficulty is we've got to go through this fallen, sinful, ungodly, wicked world to get there. When Christ saved us, He didn't just take us out of the world. No, we're here to be a testimony of light and salt, right? But our path, as we were saying this morning, singing about traveling on, lies in this world. That's the difficulty. Because in the world, we're going to have tribulation. We're not of the world. We're We're going against the current. We're going against the tide. We're going against everything of this world. In fact, this world is our enemy. We're going through a minefield each and every day when you follow Christ. There's temptation. There's constant opposition. There are snares, deceptions, and devices of the devil. There is things that claw at, scratch at, try to go get a hold of, lay weight on us to hinder our walk and our following of Christ. But you know what? They hindered him just like they hinder us. We're following His steps. He's already been there. 
There's nothing we're going to get into that He hadn't got into and overcome. And we rest in that hope. Now everybody likes it when you're walking in the green grass and going beside the still waters. But again, when it leads into a dark valley, that's a different story. You're up a steep hill. Remember John Bunyan in Christian? The hill difficulty. Those poisonous gases in the enchanted place and things like that. I mean, what a beautiful picture. I mean, there's not a more beautiful thing that's ever been written outside of God's Word about following Christ and in capturing all of that as the book Pilgrim's Progress. And Christ Himself said we are to, as His people, daily take up our cross and follow Him. You remember he bore his cross, but he didn't bear it very far, did he? He needed help. And a man, they summoned a man to help him, didn't he? Well, if Christ bore his cross, we're to bear ours, right? We're following the same path. It was hard on him, it's going to be hard on us. He didn't hide that. And so we shouldn't be discouraged at the thought of that. In fact, I would say to you this, and you prove me to be wrong, and if you do, come talk to me about it. That the cross each of us bear each day, the weight of it, is in proportion to our attitude and perspective of bearing it. That's what makes it heavy. Is it not? Am I? Think about it. You don't have to shake your head and you don't have to say amen, but think about it. Why is that cross heavy someday than it is other days? Oh yeah, it's got something to do with what you're dealing with, but really most of all it's got to do with me. It's got to do with me. If that cross seems heavy and you adopt the attitude or are reminded I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me, it just got lighter. If you get to doubting, get to thinking, man, I don't know if I can do this. I, I think it's more than I can bear. And you forget that the Scripture says He won't lay any weight on you that you cannot bear. And we forget that it all works together for our good. And we don't understand why we've got to climb that hill or anything like that. It's all about perspective. It's all about attitude. It just gets lighter. It gets easier. So, the greatest Christian is the one who can bear that cross daily without complaint, with a desire, and with joy knowing that the way I'm going is the way my Lord went. And whatever the weight of this cross feels to me today, I know His was a whole lot heavier unimaginable than whatever this stick of wood is I'm packing around today. So we need to be diligent. We need to be studious. We need to make sure we're stepping in His steps if we're going to follow Christ. In fact, again, that's your greatest desire today. So many people get deceived about following people. I'm going to tell you, you follow me. I'll say the same thing Paul did. You follow me as your pastor only as I'm following Christ. But as soon as I step out of Christ's steps, that's where you quit following me or anybody else. Paul said that. And followers here and stepping in these steps literally means to be imitators. Paul said, you be an imitator of me as I imitate Christ. But you stop as quickly as I quit imitating Him. And that's what every pastor ought to say. Following Christ, we're sending a message to the world. I'm going to read this quickly because it's so dear to my heart. We're telling others, we're following Christ. We have a destination. 
We have a peace. We have a joy. We have a hope. Come go with us, won't you? In Numbers, the 11th chapter, 10th chapter, I'm going to read this real quick. I, I, I just love this, and it fits so well, I believe, right here. Moses had a father-in-law, and his name was Jethro, or Hobab, Bab, if I remember correctly. And it's in uh, the 10th chapter, down about verse 29. And they're about to depart Sinai. And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Raguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, and just apply this. We're sheep, and what's our message to our friends and family who are not committed to Christ or following Christ? Here's our message. We are journeying unto a place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. We are, aren't we? We're going to heaven. Jesus said that, John 14. I'm going to prayer place, I'll come back for you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. For the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. The Lord has spoken good concerning his sheep. And he said unto him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and my own kindred. Moses said, Leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou may be unto his eyes, be unto us instead of eyes, and it shall be. This is what we can say to those that are not following Christ around. This is our message. Come go with us. And it shall be, if thou go with us, yea, it shall be that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will he do unto thee. Isn't that a wonderful message? I've always loved that. Now Jethro, for his own reasons, went back to his own homeland. A lot of sinners will do the same, but we can make that promise because it's been promised to us. Can we not? I mean, say, well, where was it? Well, I quoted it earlier, Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30. You just come and follow Christ and see what's in store for you. And people will recognize that. Remember Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, chapter 4? They looked at those men and they didn't see much and they recognized one thing, that as human beings they didn't amount to much, but they had been with Christ. They were followers of Christ. Their actions, their attitude, their message, their life showed that. And lastly, let me say this. We follow Christ knowing that in the end we'll have the victory. One day, our lives will end, humanly speaking. But that's only the beginning. Remember those words of Paul when he said, I've finished my course. I've finished the race. We're all going to come to that one day. That's not the end. That's the, belief. That's the beginning to the believer. Greater things lie ahead than what we have here. So we're not hoping to finish. We're not hoping to succeed. We're not hoping to to overcome. When that time comes, we can look death in the eye and say, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Is that all you got? Christ my Lord overcame you, and so shall I, because He promised it to me. He promised me eternal life, and as soon as you get done with me, that's what I'm going to have.
So we have an anticipation of following Christ. That's what hope is, isn't it? And it's hard for us to get that in our mind, but just leave here today thinking about it. The best is yet to come. The best is not here. It's not even coming close. And if you get that settled in your mind, we'll again, we'll quit looking around us, trim our roots, and keep looking ahead. All hoping for one thing. That when we take our last breath and the angels carry our soul into His presence, that we might be attentive to hear and hoping to hear well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter in. That's why we follow Christ. I mean, can you imagine what a blessing that would be to hear that? Why do we follow Him? That's a good reason, as I know. But we really follow Him because we love Him. As Peter said, what He did for us surpasses anything anybody can do. And we close today. Who are you following? Are you following Christ? Are you following for the right reason? Did you just call Him Lord out of convenience? I pray the Holy Spirit will resolve those things assuredly in your heart today whether you're saved or whether you're lost.